Today in our study of the book of Acts, we move to the single largest account in the entire book. It's an account uh, that consists of 48 verses. Now, it ties to the verses uh, that follow it, but the specific account is 48 verses. Now, uh, as much as I would like to try to cover 48 verses uh, in one sitting, uh, if you can see some of your faces right now, uh, that is entirely too much. And so I'm going to break it in at least uh, two parts, at least two parts and perhaps even three. Now, let me tell you going into that, the hard part is that the magnificence and really the magnitude of what is being revealed actually requires all 48 verses. And there is such a tie-in, and it is such a magnitude of a wealth of stuff that it actually requires all 48 verses. But we're going to do the best that we can uh, this morning. And so our message is entitled, at least uh, for these two weeks, Good News of Great Joy for All People. Good News of Great Joy for All People. Again, we're in Acts chapter 10. I'm going to read the first 23 verses. That'll leave us uh, 25 verses for next week. So Acts chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's Word. Now, there was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household and gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw a vision, in a vision, an angel of God who had just come in and said to him, Cornelius, and fixing his gaze on, gaze on him and being much alarmed, he said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon, who is also called Peter. He is staying with a tanner named Simon, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who was speaking to him had left, he summoned two of his servants and a devout soldier of those who were his personal attendants. And after he explained everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. On the next day, as they were on their way and approaching the city, Peter went up to the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. But he became hungry and was desiring to eat. But while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance. And he saw the sky opened up and an object like a great sheet coming down, lowered by four corners to the ground. And there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the air. A voice came to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. Again, a voice came to him a second time. What God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. This happened three times and immediately the object was taken up into the sky. Now, while Peter was greatly perplexed in mind as to what the vision he had seen might be, behold, the men who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions for Simon's house, appeared at the gate. And calling out, they were asking whether Simon, who was called Peter, was staying there. While Peter was reflecting on the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. But get up, go downstairs, and accompany them without misgivings, for I have sent them myself. 
Peter went down to the men and said, Behold, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for which you have come? They said, Cornelius, a centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man, well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews, was divinely directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear a message from you. Verse 23, so he invited them in and gave them lodging. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today and I'm thankful for you. Lord, I'm thankful for our salvation. I'm thankful today for the forgiveness of sin. Lord, I'm thankful for the good news of the gospel and how it tells us of that Savior. Lord, I I come and I pray today as we begin to to study your word, this, this section of verses, I pray, Lord, that you would prepare us, that you would prepare our minds, that you would prepare our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us. And I pray, Lord, that as your people, we would be built up today, encouraged today, instructed today. Lord, I pray that your, your word, I know that it will, would bear fruit today. And I pray that it's in the, in the spirit of God that enables and empowers it. Lord, I pray for, for Cassidy today. I pray as, as she is taking a bold stand, I pray that, that she would find a church that would encourage her, that would walk with her, that would support her, that would lead her, continue to the words of life, the words of truth. And I pray that she would stand as a great witness to the goodness of our God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, we give you this hour. We give you this service. We praise you in it, and I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, I want to start this section today. Now, understand, we're going to cover some pretty heavy stuff, some pretty profound topics, but I want to start this section by saying God's plan, be sure to hear this, has always been for the gospel to be good news for all people. Now, I want you to understand that all the way from from Genesis to the book of Revelation, God's plan has always been for the gospel to be good news for all people. It was never just to be for some. It was never just to be limited to a select few. And so we can be very sure For God so loved the world certainly stands today. Now, I want you to hear this as well, and I want you to think about it. It's very deep. But I want you to understand also up front, before we begin this section, that our gospel is exclusive in nature. Our gospel is exclusive in nature. Now, the world does not like that. Now, the world doesn't understand that truly, but our gospel is exclusive in nature. Now, what that means is there is only one way to be saved. There are not many ways to be saved. There are not several ways to be saved. There's not even two ways to be saved. There is only one way to be saved, and that is by faith in Jesus Christ alone. The gospel is exclusive in nature. Now, we live in a world where everybody says, you know what? You can't lay that down for us. You can't establish that truth for us. And maybe I found a different way. Or maybe a different group possesses a different light or a different way. Listen, the gospel is exclusive. There's only one way to be saved, and that's by faith in Jesus Christ alone. 
The gospel is exclusive in nature, but I want you to hear this. But it is inclusive in application. It is inclusive in application. And what that means is that one way is for all people. Now, I want you to hear this as simple as I can make it, meaning any person can be saved by faith in Jesus Christ. Understand that as we move into these verses, any person can be saved by faith in Jesus Christ. The gospel is exclusive in nature, but it is inclusive in application. Now, that deep truth is revealed to the church, is revealed to us today in these verses in Acts chapter 10. I said there's a lot going on. There's a lot of profound things. Well, we're going to see in our, in our application, the gospel is exclusive in nature and inclusive in application in our verses today. So let's start our verses. <clears throat> Starting in chapter 10, verse 1. Now there was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort. Caesarea is a town, a city, about 30 miles from Joppa. If you remember, that's where we left Peter last week, at the house of Simon the Tanner. Well, there is a man named Cornelius in this town of Caesarea. The Bible says he is a centurion. Now, understanding that, a Roman legion would have been made up of 6,000 soldiers. Now, they would generally break those into 10 groups of 600, and then under that, they would break them into groups of 100, and they would be led by a centurion. This man is over 100 soldiers. And so there would be 60 of these centurions in the Roman cohort. Now, understand, these 60 men, these these centurions, they were esteemed as warriors themselves. They had proven themselves as warriors themselves. Not only that, they had proven themselves as leaders in battle. And so this was no light position. This was no uh, position given just because of, of reputation. No, this was something that was earned. They were valiant in battle. They were valiant as leaders in battle. And so we see here in the first verse, this is a valiant, brave man who is deserving of respect. He is a respected leader of men. All right, verse 2. A devout man and one who feared God with all his household and gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. It goes on describing this centurion, Cornelius. It says, first off, we understand he is a Gentile. He is not a Jew. And yet the Bible says he worshiped the God of the Jews. In fact, it says he and all of his household. It says in addition to that, that he gave alms. It means that he gave money to the poor Jewish people. And then it says that he prayed continually. His description he is a devout man. That word for devout, it means a devoted man, a committed man. And we see that he is devout. He is committed to the God of the Jews. All right, verse 3. About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision 
an angel of God who had just come in and said to him, Cornelius. Three o'clock in the afternoon, it says that he clearly saw, now he wasn't, he wasn't mistaken, he clearly saw an angel, and the angel says, Cornelius. He calls his name, verse four. And fixing his gaze on him, and being much alarmed, he said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Verse 4, he is, as you can imagine, he is blown away. He is astounded. And the Bible says that he stares at this angel. He fixes his gaze on this angel. And he says, what is it, Lord? Now that word for Lord, it, it could mean Lord, but it also could mean sir. And so he, he could have been saying, what is it, sir? It says, your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. In verse 4, the angel tells him, God has noted your devotion. God has noted, he has seen your prayers and your almsgiving. Right now the angel gives directions, starting in verse 5. Now dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon, who is also called Peter. Verse 6. He is staying with a tanner named Simon whose house is by the sea. Verse 7. When the angel who was speaking to him had left, he summoned two of his servants and a devout soldier of those who were his personal attendants. Verse 8. And after he had explained every to them, everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Now when I think about that, wouldn't, wouldn't you have liked to have heard that conversation? says that after he had explained everything to them. And so he has the, this vision. He sees the angel, and he calls these two servants and a soldier to accompany them. And he explains everything that has happened. Now, again, I can't even imagine that. I, I was praying, and they say, well, hold on, you're not a Jew. Yeah, 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 yeah but I was praying, and, and I saw an angel. And they say, you saw an angel? And he says, yeah, I saw an angel. And he explains the entire thing. You're going to go to Joppa. Hold on, we're going to go to Joppa on the word of a vision of an angel of, of, a, of, a, of a Gentile who's praying to the Jewish God. And he explains the entire thing to them. Now, I want to start right here this morning. Be very sure. Now, again, we're seeing some great things in these verses. But I, I want to start right here. Be sure and see this. The need of all people is Jesus. The need of all people is Jesus. You see, the Jews needed Jesus. Peter, guess what? He needed Jesus. And now this man, Cornelius, he has a good reputation, yes. He is well-respected, yes. He gave to the poor. He was a good man, a devout man. He prayed to the Jewish God, Jehovah. But the reason that all this is about to unfold, be sure and see this, is because he needed Jesus. Folks, we need to be very clear here. We need to be very certain here. The hope of all people, the need of all people is Jesus. They could have said, you know what, he's a devout man. You know what, he gives to the poor. 
You know, and he prays all the time. We see him. He's continually in prayer. He's well respected. Look at, it. Look at the position that he holds. Surely that is the favor of God. No, he needed Jesus. This whole thing's about to unfold because Cornelius needed Jesus. Today, people come along and they say, and I hear it all the time, you know what, you, you ought to worship the light that you found. And I actually had a, had a messed up seminary professor that said, you know what, who cares as long as they worship the light that they found, as long as they trust the truth that they found. And, and you know what, it doesn't matter the truth because they're all the same anyway. There's no difference anyway. No, I want you to be very certain today. There is salvation in no other name. There is salvation in no one else than Jesus the Nazarene, Jesus Christ. Well, we see this centurion and we might say, you know what, he's something. We might say, oh, he doesn't need that salvation, a saving of a savior, forgiveness of sin. He needed Jesus. First point is this, the hope of all people, the need of every man, is a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus. That's just the first point. Verse 9. On the next day, as they were on their way and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. Now, it's interesting here in this ninth verse, the, the delegation is coming. He sends the delegation to go find Peter, but Peter knows nothing about it. And you know, if you read it, sometimes we, we get it all kind of jumbled together as we read the account, but Peter knows nothing about a delegation that's coming. He knows nothing about the vision that Cornelius has had. And at the sixth hour, which is noon, the Bible says he goes up to the rooftop, he goes to the patio on the rooftop to pray. Verse 10. <coughs> but he became hungry and was desiring to eat. But while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance. Now, verse 10 is the biblical call to never skip lunch. <laughs> but he became hungry and was desiring to eat. But while they were getting lunch ready, making preparations, he fell into a trance. He goes up there on that patio rooftop. He goes up there to pray while he's there. He gets hungry. He desires to eat. They're preparing the meal downstairs, verse 11. And he saw the sky opened up and an object like a great sheet coming down, lowered by four corners to the ground, verse 12. And there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the air. Now, crawling creatures, the, the literal translation is uh, is a reptile or reptiles. And so see the picture here. The sky opens up, the heavens open up, and there is descending, there is coming down a sheet. The four corners of the sheet are suspended. I don't know by what, but they're suspended, and the sheet is coming down. Now, in, in the midst of the sheet, the Bible says there are all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures, reptiles, and birds of the air. Now, I don't have to tell you that's a strange thing. That, that's a weird thing. He's up there praying. He's hungry for lunch. And now here comes this sheet, 
and it's filled with lizards and snakes and birds and all sorts of four-footed animals. And it is coming down. It's being lowered down. Verse 13. A voice came to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Get up, Peter. Now, this is specific. It's, it's talking into this situation. It is talking to Peter. Peter, get up, kill and eat. These are for your food. Verse 14. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. Now, let me explain what this is talking about. This is talking about the Jewish dietary laws from Leviticus chapter 11. If you go back and you read Leviticus chapter 11, the law given by God, the command given by God, prohibited eating certain kinds of birds. Buzzards, eagles, uh, prohibited certain kinds of animals, certain kinds of fish and reptiles. Now, to eat them would make a person unclean. To eat them would cause a person to be defiled. Now, not only that, to even touch them. They weren't to even touch these animals. Now, it's important to understand it was God who forbade them. It was God who forbids them. Understand, these are God's laws. Well, Peter, he sees the vision and he hears the voice and his natural response is, by no means, Lord, I have never eaten anything unholy. I have never eaten anything unclean. Now, for sure, I want you to understand, this is a shocking thing, to say the least. The law of God says, do not touch these things. Do not eat these things. This is a shocking thing, to say the least. I'm sure it is a sickening thing. These things have been deemed gross, off limits. And I'm sure it is a sickening thing. This is against everything that he had learned. In honor of God, in obedience to God, we do not eat these things. And so he says in verse 14, by no means. I will not eat them by no means. Verse 15. <clears throat> Again, a voice came to him a second time. What God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. The first time he says, get up, Peter, kill and eat. This time the voice says, what God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. Unholy. Now, there is a huge, to say the least, change that has taken place. In fact, it is, it is so big, it is so huge, it's to the point that it's really hard to understand. It's incomprehensible. The voice says, but God has cleaned no longer. It means no more consider unholy. Now, processing through that, in the Old Covenant, God set rules to protect his people. Now, not only that, he also set rules. He set commands in order to make his people separate from the pagan world. And you look at these laws, and some of them were for safety, some of them were for provision, but some of them also were to separate his people from the pagan world. Well, now under the new covenant, under Jesus, there is a change and it is so radical, it is so hard to grasp that Peter can't understand it. 
He is wrestling with it. He cannot comprehend it. So verse 16. This happened three times. And immediately the object was taken up into the sky. It happened three times. It happened again and again and again. And then the Bible says, and then it was gone. Just as quickly as it came, immediately it was taken up and it was gone. Now I want to I keep going on this thought here in this verse. And I think it's very interesting. I want you to notice here, and we, and we read it out of the context. I want you to notice this. Peter has a choice here. And his choice is to keep the law or to obey the Lord. Do you notice that? When you read that, that's what his choice is. His choice is to keep the law or to trust the Lord. Now, I, I want to be sure and make this clear as we're seeing some things revealed moving through these verses. I want to make sure we're certain of this. Be sure today we are saved not by religious duties. You sure of that? We're saved not by religious duties. We're saved not by religious ceremonies. We're not saved by baptism. Not as infants, not as adults. We're not saved by religious ceremonies. We're not saved by keeping any of the laws. We are saved by trusting the Lord Jesus Christ. Be certain of that. Not in the keeping of laws, not in ceremonies. We're saved by trusting the Lord Jesus Christ. Today there are some and they're trying to go back. And, I, and it's happened all along. The whole book of Galatians addresses it. They try to go back and they try to pick up these laws. And they try to pick up these rules. rules. And it's, it's the Jewish roots movement. And as crazy as that sounds, that is a growing movement. And they say, you know what, it's faith in Christ, but it's also keeping these laws. It's faith in Christ, but it's going back and, and picking up these sets of rules. I don't know why the reason anybody would do that, because we are saved by faith and not of a work, lest any man should boast. That is what God says. We're not saved in religious ceremony. We're not saved in religious duty. We're not saved by the amount or the extent that we keep laws. We are saved alone by faith in Jesus Christ. That is the testimony of Scripture. <clears throat> Verses 17 and 18, we'll read them together. Now, while Peter was greatly perplexed, that has to be an understatement. Now, while Peter was greatly perplexed in mind, as to what the vision he had seen might be, what in the world was that? Behold, the men who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions for Simon's house, appeared at the gate. And calling out, they were asking whether Simon, who was also called Peter, was staying there. Now this is hard. This is confusing. The Bible says Peter is greatly perplexed in mind. He, he, is, he is trying to figure this out. He's trying to, to reconcile. He's trying to, to, to maneuver his way through it. And he is greatly perplexed in mind. He's trying to understand it. And at the time that he's sitting up there, the sheet is lifted up. And as he's thinking about what he's learned as a kid, as he's thinking about the laws of God, as he's thinking about the gospel of Jesus Christ, the teachings that he heard from the Savior, as he's trying to put it all together, at that time, 
the men sent by Cornelius appeared at the gates and they called out for Peter. Now from our perspective today, we can see this, and Peter's about to see it, that this is more than about food. And that's the awesome thing of what has just crashed together here, what has just come together here. He is up there and he is trying to, to figure out what has happened. And at that same time, the delegation from Cornelius has appeared. This is more than about food. Now, yes, it's about food, but it's way more than that. You see, as much as the Jews disdain the Samaritans, we've heard all about that. We know all about that. They, they couldn't stand the Samaritans. As much as they disdain the Samaritans, even more so they hated the Gentiles. In fact, it's hard for us, I, I think, to even imagine how, how much they hated the Gentiles. They, they hated the very sight of them. They called them dogs. In fact, they said they were worse than dogs. They're worse than dogs. They, they wouldn't stay with them. They for sure wouldn't ask them to stay with them. And they, they would, in fact, avoid them at all costs. These pagans, these Gentiles, they are enemies of our God, and so therefore they are enemies of us. We Hate the Gentiles. And how awesome here that God's working and now there's three of them at the gate. And so we're sitting here and Peter's up there trying to figure out what's happened and we think at the, at the, and he thinks at the top it must be about food and yet at the exact same time, at that exact same moment, there's three Gentiles at the gate. Verse 19. While Peter was reflecting on the vision, <coughs> the Spirit said to him, God said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. He's up there, he's reflecting, he's thinking, and God says, there, There's three men that are looking for you. Verse 20. But get up, go downstairs, and accompany them without misgivings, for I have sent them myself. We're about to get into something big here. But you get up, go downstairs, and accompany them without misgivings, for I have sent them myself. Accompany means, listen, join their company. Get in the midst of them. Accompany them. He says, do not hesitate. Do not worry about it. Don't try and overthink it. Don't try and reconcile it. But go downstairs and join their company. God says, for I have sent them myself. God says, do not hesitate because this is of me. Verse 21. Peter went down to the men and said, behold, I'm the one you're looking for. What is the reason for which you have come? Remember Sam, Simon the Tanner from last week? He's an outcast to the Jewish folks, the Jewish devout. He's not a Gentile, but he's unclean. He's not one of these pagan folks, but he's unclean. He deals with dead animals and he touches the skins of dead animals. And he is a cast off from society. And no one wanted to have part of a Tanner. And no one wanted to have any, any, any dealings with him and so he's looked down by the, the devout Jews of the day. Remember him? 
I wonder what he's thinking. I wonder what he's thinking. And I, I wonder if, if his human instinct says, well, finally somebody worse off than me. I wonder if he says, well, finally somebody that's lower than me. Oh, they've looked down on me. Maybe these guys here, they're going to take the bottom of the totem pole. Finally, somebody lower than me. Or does he stand there by his gate and does he lift his head in awe and say, what God is this? What God is this? What gospel is this that doesn't make these distinctions? What gospel is this that doesn't call some people as castaways, as less than? What gospel is this that unites all men? What gospel is this? And maybe Simon the Tanner stands by the gate and there's joy in the heart. Oh, what God is this? What gospel is this? Verse 22. They said, he asked them the reason you've come. They said, Cornelius, a centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man, well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews, was divinely directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear a message from you. Man, there's so much in that verse. They said, Cornelius, a centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man, well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews, was divinely directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear a message from you. Do you know, until this, Peter's story is separate from the story of Cornelius. Peter's in Joppa. Cornelius is in Caesarea. Peter's been up there and he's been praying. He's had a vision. It's a hard vision to understand. He's, he's trying to figure it out. But did you know he knows nothing of Cornelius until this point, until this exact time. He thinks that his story is separate from the story of what God has been doing in the life of Cornelius until this exact point. He has nothing to do with the story of Cornelius. He's up there and he's trying to figure out why he's had this vision. And they come along and they say, a devout man named Cornelius has had a vision and God has sent him divinely to you, sent us to you, that we would get you and that he would hear a message from you. Do you know many times God's plan God's work is bigger than we can see. Do you know that? I read through these verses and this is where I get and I, and I start to say, did you know many times God's plan is bigger than we can see? And until this point, Peter knew nothing of Cornelius. He knew nothing of what God was doing in the life of Cornelius. Do you know many times God's plan God's work is bigger than what we can see. Friends, sometimes I get all balled up and I say, God, I can't understand what you're doing and I can't understand why you do it like this. And Lord God, I don't get it. God, why is it like this? What are you doing, God? What's going on? And most of the time, God's plan is bigger than we can see. Do you know... 
Sometimes God's working in us for something he's going to do for someone else. Do you know that? That's what we take from this story as well. Do you know sometimes God's working in us is for something he's going to do for somebody else. You see, Peter thought this was all about Peter. Peter's up there and he's been preaching the gospel and now he's been up there at the noon time and he's been praying and now he's had this vision and Peter thinks it is all about Peter, but no, it is about Cornelius and he's about to get saved. In fact, he and all of his household, he's about to hear of a savior. He's about to hear the good news. He's about to hear there's hope. Even for a pagan, there's hope. Even for a Gentile, Peter thought it was all about Peter, but no, it was about Cornelius. He's about to get saved. The gospel's about to be preached. Peter thought it was all about Peter. He thought it was all about him. He thought it was all about Peter. But no, it is about the gospel. It is about God's fidelity to a promise that he made to Abraham that there would be good news for all of the nations. A promise made some 2,000 years earlier and all these generations later, all of these years later, God is faithful and God is faithful and God is faithful and the gospel is for all people and all the descendants of Abraham, every nation, every tongue. The truth is Jesus saves Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Peter's up there on that roof and he thinks it's all about him. He doesn't know Cornelius is gonna hear the gospel and he's gonna be saved. He doesn't know the truth of the gospel. It is for all people. And God is faithful to a promise made to Abraham. Verse 23. We might as well go to the next 25 verses, huh? Verse 23. So he invited them in and gave them lodging. Don't miss verse 23. So he invited them in and gave them lodging. The unthinkable happened. Simon Peter says, come on in. He turns to Simon the tanner, get them supper, Simon. Hold on a minute, they're not supposed to be here. They're, they're pagans, get them supper, Simon. And the enemies that were once far off and the faithfulness of God are now brought near. Come in. Folks, the need of all people is Jesus. The need of all people is Jesus. I don't know, somehow we, we lose track of that. And we think the hope of people, it's going to be a government, it's going to be an uprising, going to be a, 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 an economic turn or some sort of that. Listen, the folks of all people, the hope of all people is Jesus. And I want to tell you that the confidence we can have is that the gospel of Jesus Christ can be confidently delivered to all people. We don't have to wonder, is it for them? Is it for a different segment? Is it for somebody else? The hope of all people is in Jesus. And the gospel of Jesus Christ, listen to me, it is for all people. And from God speaking to Abraham to 2,000 years later and a simple little supper at Simon the Tanner's house, 
we see God is faithful. Let's pray. Dear me, Father, we come. And I am so thankful that you are faithful. And that not one word of yours has failed to come to pass. That you're trustworthy in every single word, every single promise. Because, Lord, I stand here today and I am not a Jew. I would have been counted, I am counted as a Gentile. I would have been one of those on the outside. And yet you made a promise to Abraham that through your Savior, the Messiah of God, that all nations would be blessed. Lord, I'm thankful that you're trustworthy. I'm thankful that you're faithful. Lord, I praise you today. Lord, I come today and I know and I hear again the hope of all people's Jesus. The hope of the need of all people's a Savior. The remedy for sin, Jesus. Lord, I'm thankful that I can preach the gospel without shame. I can preach the gospel without wondering. I can preach the gospel in confidence to every ear, every heart that beats that there's salvation by faith in Jesus. For God so loved the world, all of it, that He sent His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Lord, I'm thankful. Lord, let us preach that gospel. Lord, let us carry that gospel. Lord, for some here that are lost in their sins, let them receive that gospel. Lord, I'm thankful that You're faithful. And I praise You and I worship You. And I thank You. Lord, I ask that You move in this time of invitation. I ask that you move in this time of response. I pray that in every bit of it, every incident of it, that you're glorified. We love you, we praise you, and I pray in Jesus' name, amen.